This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Welcome to the Total Saints podcast. My name is Martin Stark. With no Saints game this week, it's the perfect opportunity to catch up with the Southampton FC Chief Executive, Martin Simmons. We'll hear from the man at the top about the indifferent start to the season, the work to attract new investors, and the potential for safe standing at St Mary's. Plus, Martin answers some of your questions. This is episode 171 of the Total Saints podcast. This is the Total Saints Podcast with Martin Stark, Steve Grant, Glenn Delacour and the Athletics' Dan Sheldon. Thank you for joining us, Martin. No problems, no problems. Nice to hear from you. We're speaking during the second international break. We're seven games into the new season, four points on the board, still waiting for that first win. What's been your take on the start of the new campaign? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I'm, I mean, I think we have to always try and see that through the lens of the long-term project. And I and I say that not as an excuse, but that's just the way we are, right? We have a, a strategy set out. It's our way to win. And I guess what I mean by that is, you know, we've been clear and open with everybody that we ain't going to win anything by, you know, being Chelsea and changing our manager and changing our players every year. And until we eventually win, that's not that's not our way. And it's not the way that we're going to be successful. So, you know, what we've done is we've set out a plan and following through that plan and delivering on it is our only way to be successful. So I guess, you know, how, how do we judge ourselves? We judge ourselves based against that plan. So, you know, we've seen real successes, you know, 2020, we ended up, you know, finishing in the top six in that year. We ended up top of the league on that famous night. You know, we've seen some success in player development. You know, young players such as Nathan Teller and Will Smallbone and now Tino and Sally and Ibra coming through. But I think things also like, you know, James Ward-Prowse's development from being out of the team when Ralph took over to now being, you know, the main part of the team playing for England this weekend uh, and being a sought-after player in the Premier League. So we see those successes, but I think you also have to look that, you know, things have not quite gone the way we want them to in 2021. You know, I think let's, let's reflect on those two things. So the end of last season, I think, was the hardest bit for us since I've been here. You know, what do we attribute that to? For sure, the injuries are a big part of that. So as we were hitting the heights we hoped one day we'd get to, 
injury struck. And I think the, the fact that we had a small squad, which was probably deliberate and a decision we all made together, didn't pay off for us. And the injuries we had hurt us really badly. Um, and I think I think at the end of the day, when you assess it and you look at the data, that's probably the major factor where we fell away and, and we accept that uh, responsibility. So what, so what have we done about it? We've probably tried to make sure we have more depth in quality. We've got 26 Premier League players in the squad and then we set out to be better defensively and make sure that we weren't conceding goals and make sure we were stronger in those Premier League games, which I think we've done. But the area of concern, I think, is, you know, is around scoring goals and making sure we can put that win on the board. There's nobody as a fan or, or an employee of the club or a player who is happy to be at this point without winning a game. But again, before we finish this bit, let's just assess where we've gone. So, you know, I think we would say and we feel internally that our performances have been pretty good. So, you know, United, we uh, knocked off one of those important things, which is being robust in a game. And when you're playing a top team and you are ahead or you're 1-1 holding on to that lead, so that was important. You know, West Ham for me is really important because we've all watched the team get bullied by those big, strong teams too often. And I think we dealt with that really well and we were tactically clever how we did that. And then we went to Man City and, and executed the game plan we had and should have done better if it hadn't been for a VAR bizarre decision. So I think in the end of the day, it comes down to that Wolves game. And if, he, if we'd won that game, I think we'd be sitting here saying, wow, we had a really great start to the season and everything we said would come true, but we didn't. And therefore, I think we're slightly behind where we want to be. Uh, I think my overall assessment from inside would be that the primary thing I'm looking for is... Do we have a plan? Do we have 24, 25, 26 players working hard, buying into the system, buying into Ralph, buying into the club and, and running and working hard for the fans? And at the moment, I think we do. So for me, really, it's now about getting back out there on the pitch and getting some results and and seeing those points tick off. But at the moment, I think we're pretty comfortable with, with how we're playing, but we'd like to see some more points on the board. In the summer, during all the player comings and goings, you said judge us after the transfer window has closed and the business is complete. So on reflection, was it a good window for you? Yeah, I think so. I think we, we delivered what we planned to do behind the scenes. Having said that, there were some things that, that went on that we didn't expect. As I think everybody knows, we didn't expect Danny to go, so that needed some fixing. But yeah, I think so. I think what we had to do was provide depth. I think that was massively important. Um, I think without that depth, Ralph's way of working doesn't work. So he expects a lot from his players, expects them to work hard and run. Um, and I think, as everybody knows, you know, he, he operates in a system where all 11 players have to function at the same time. And if you keep taking quality players out of that injured and bringing in people that aren't yet ready or too young or haven't spent enough time with the team, then then the system breaks down. And I think that's what happened at the end of last year. So I think we fixed that problem. I think our way will always be to dev- to buy and develop talent and we're certainly very happy with every player that, that we've brought in so so yeah I would say from a window perspective we probably delivered everything we wanted and a bit beyond that because we were able to bring in uh, a couple of young players like Tina and Thierry that were really beyond our reach the year before so yeah I think I think we're very excited about the team that we've built. You mentioned the squad depth and Ralph made no secret of his desire to have two players for every position something which as you say there may have cost us points last season it seems that you've addressed that now. So is the onus back on the manager to deliver? Now you've given him the tools to do the job? Yeah, interesting question. It's always on him. Um, if you had him on your podcast, he'd say, you know, ultimately everything sits with him and the responsibility for how we perform on match day is with him. And he's the one in front of the media and standing there on the touchline taking responsibility. So so whether we give him what he wants or whether he doesn't, he still feels that pressure. But but yeah, I mean, I think we, you know, we, we talk about that two players for every position, not because we're hungry to spend money or hungry to have more players, but it just is the right way to run a professional team. So I think we have that. I think we're already seeing the benefits of that. The, the, the real trigger for me was away at Newport County uh, in the middle of that 
uh, week um, in August, I think it was. And, you know, I think we were 7 nil up or 8 nil up. And you were still seeing players like Kyle Walker-Peters sprinting back once he'd lost the ball in the 89th minute. And, and seeing that commitment is so important to what we're trying to do here. And that comes from competition for places, knowing that if you're not up to your best, you're not going to play. And I think the players have bought into that model of, you know, it can't just be 10 or 9 of us that are doing the job or one player scoring the goals. It's got to be all 26 of us. And I think um, that responsibility is is the key trigger. And if Ralph gets that, Ralph will always, I think, get results for us. So how important are those next five games to the club? Because they're big. Yeah, I, I've been here quite a while now. And, and every weekend, whether it be, you know, with you or the fans or staff members or my family, we go, oh, this is a big one. Every, every game is a big one in the Premier League. It's getting increasingly difficult. Um, you know, even yesterday with the Newcastle announcement, you know, every team has huge finances and amazing world-class players and facilities. So every game is incredibly difficult now. Um, but yes, I think we our season will not be defined by, you know, beating Man City or Liverpool once. It'll be defined by making sure we beat the teams around us in that in that group. So yes, I think the next, you know, five to eight games will be very pivotal to see where we end up um, halfway through. And one question which always seems to come round after a bad result or two uh, is the backroom team. Is Ralph happy with the backroom team and the resources that are available to him? I think one of the comments is that he sometimes looks like a man alone on that that touchline. Yeah, I, I do see that question a lot. And there are not many things that get sent to me that I don't really understand. So it's important to clear that one up. You know, of course, Ralph is happy with what he's got, because if you've met Ralph and you spent any time with him, He's not someone that sits around and, and deals with stuff that he doesn't like, right? So he, he's very happy with his backroom staff. He has a very, very structured, possibly the most structured and, you know, methodical way of working of anybody I've ever worked with. He, he knows what he needs from the people around him and he gets it. So I understand the question, which is sometimes he feels like a lone agent and the one standing there taking the decisions. And in some ways that is true. But no, the staff we have behind him are, are both very important to the club, but also very important to him. And he feels he has everything he needs you know, inside the club uh, to be successful. And I suppose the obvious question is, are there any plans for business in January when the, the window opens again, if, if the right deal's there to be done? Yeah, I think, I think yes, there always is. The way we look at it is, is twofold, really. One, we do have a long-term plan. So this week I sat in a meeting and talked about next summer and the evolution and what we'll do in that window. So we do plan in the long term, but also, you know, in reality, a, a window like January, you can't really plan for that now. Um, because we have to see how we're playing and what injuries we pick up and where the team needs developing. So absolutely, there are opportunities in January. And we've always historically probably done one uh, important move to strengthen the team in a certain area. And that's the kind of thing you could expect. But at this point, we wouldn't um, we wouldn't have those plans in place at this point. And it seems that the contract situations with most of the key players have now been addressed. Are you, are you happy with the length of contracts um, that, are, that are on the table? Any more deals to be done? People that uh, need to be signed up for, for more long term? Yeah, and that, that's always um, one of those uh, classic situations where it's a problem, you deal with it and you think, oh, I've done that. And then six months later, it comes up again because they, they run down. So around this time of the year, we do look at it. Um, there are one or two that we are looking at at the moment and and are always important to to extend but yes we're certainly in a much better position we were this time last year and there are less pressing issues but yeah you might see one or two across the next couple of months one of the things which has been asked recently martin is about the b team performances has that been an area of concern for you have you got any worries about the the changes that have been made to the setup there and the youth system and and that pipeline because results haven't been going well for the b team and as fans you start to think well is that a problem for players coming through and what impact is that having on some of the younger players if they're getting beaten every week? Yeah, sure. It is an area of concern all the time, whether we're successful or not. It's a huge part 
of our setup and our successes and failures over the years. So, so yeah, so let's, let's tackle that one. So, you know, what, what, first of all, I think you have to look at what the objectives of what we're doing there. The objectives are, you know, to develop players for the first team. That's the ultimate number one objective. And to a certain degree, we're still comfortable with how we're doing there. We've developed Nathan Teller, Will Smallbone. Um, someone said to me the other day that don't forget that when we beat Liverpool in January last year, I think we had nine academy graduates on the pitch at some point during that game. You know, no, no other teams are really doing that. So I think sometimes we're judged against our own high standards and we're quite comfortable with that and we've got to do better. But I think I think you raise the important issue, which is, you know, if they're not winning, what, what does that do to the culture and their development? And I think that is the issue that we're looking at. You know, I, I sometimes ask people, I won't ask you today, but do you know how many games... Uh, or the win percentage of James Ward-Prowse when he's in the academy and everyone says well no I don't I mean, it, it, it doesn't matter right it's irrelevant how they perform in matches at 10 to what they do in the first team but I think it's fair to say that you know winning culture is important and if we create an environment where they're used to losing or more importantly they accept losing then we would have a massive concern with that and that certainly isn't the case but I think there's things that we need to do you know and again let's let's just be it's important thing to lay out the facts for all our fans and your listeners in terms of why we are where we are. So first of all, I think we have an acute problem because last year we had a small squad that got injured and therefore the majority of the B team were in the first team squad for the second half of the season, if not longer. So Dan Lindelow, Jake Vokins, all, all those guys were in the first team squad training with the squad every week and not playing B team games. And that left a very young B team to be exposed from a point of results. Some people inside the club would say that gives them a great opportunity and you might see you know, serious development of a Ryan Finnegan or, you know, K-Level, someone like that in the future because they've been exposed at a young age as Prousey was, as Jack was. So I think I think there's some positives there because we are, you know, playing up above our age group. But I think I think that was really the issue. And to a certain degree, this this year is the same problem, which is some of those players such as Daniel and Lou, or Jake again, you know, they've been part of the first team. They've had Premier League minutes and now they've either got to play in the Premier League or go out and play in the Championship or League One. So we've sent a lot of those guys out and hope to see them back next year. And that, again, has created a bit of a void where if you look at the B team uh, squads and the ages, we are quite often playing um, much bigger, stronger, uh, older guys. So that's definitely created a problem. We're not unaware of that. But we don't hide from the fact that losing regularly, I think, is a problem. And we have to address that. And, you know, maybe those younger players will be better next year because they will have already done one year and next year you'll see results. But I think overall we are having a look. And I think as you referenced in your question, you know, have been having a look since Matt Crocker got here. At how do we improve that environment? So those plans are in place. They've, they've been sort of working for six months. They do not produce results straight away. It will take a year or two for us to get to the perfect environment that we want to produce. But with Matt here, uh, working with Matt Hale, you know, we've got two of the best people in the country to do it. So... I think I would say that the results are a concern and we don't want to see that all the time. Um, but really, the long term effect of that will be, you know, next season or even the season after that, we expect that to turn around. Now, we know the club are keen to attract new investors to either work alongside the current ownership or perhaps buy out Mr. Gal. Many fans will look at the recent Newcastle deal with a bit of envy. Can you just update us on where we are right now and, and, and what we can expect over the next six months to a year, perhaps? Yeah, sure. I saw the Newcastle thing yesterday and um, you know, obviously that, that does create some more focus on us again. You know, I think first things first, you know, we've been through the most extraordinary COVID environment and the fact that we are OK um, and stable um, is, is sort of tribute to to how we're set up to be able to deal with that. So, you know, to reassure everybody, we're OK, we're in a good position. We don't have the funds to go and buy certain players that other clubs are doing. And that's a frustration to us as it is to everybody. But that is where we have been for a long time and we have to work within that environment. So I think we've been been open which is, I think we, we all would like to have a different investment structure than we have now. Mr. Gow has been fully accepting of that. 
And as I've said in all the interviews I've done before, you know, they've done nothing but provide us with moral support. They, they create no harm. They create no confusion or distraction, which is pretty unique in the Premier League. And our ownership group is incredibly supportive of, of me uh, and the people that run the club. So, so no problems there. But in the end of the day, we want to find a reorganised structure, whether that be a complete change or a par- partial change. And we've been pretty close to doing it a few times, as I've insinuated, but they haven't quite happened. And we're now kind of at the same place, which is, you know, things are on the table. Things could happen. Uh, I noticed yesterday that um, someone referenced my comments, which is we, um, you know, we don't want anybody. We want the right person for our future. And I think it's important to reiterate that now. Right. So my role is to make sure the club is winning now, but also in the future. And also, you know, way after I've gone, having the right owner and right custodian for for our city and our club. So, so making sure we have the right person is the most important thing, um, but also some speed now in, in getting it done and allowing us to develop for the future is also a factor. Is there any truth in the old saying that when these things get out into the media, these deals, these rumours, they're unlikely to happen? Most of it goes yeah. on behind closed doors, right? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think, again, without being too rude, the, the ones that, that are in the media that everybody's talking about are the names that we're not interested in or aren't the, aren't the best people, right? So if you see somebody out there going, I want to buy Southampton, they, they probably don't or we don't want them. So the things that we have done in the background that are serious and real, nobody knows about. So... I think so. I think, you know, the best people don't go in the media and say, I'm doing something. And as you say, you know, when something does happen, we'll tell you about it before before it becomes public. And just quickly, what did you make of the Newcastle deal this week? Yeah, it's interesting. It, it took me by surprise. I, I, I mean, the Premier League is, a, is the most professional, structured organisation and we're very informed and involved in everything that goes on. But we're not informed in that. It's not our responsibility to, to be involved in the decision making. So we don't get the information and I'm not really aware of it. You know, I, I have mixed feelings, if I'm honest, but I think the idea that uh, Newcastle could become, you know, a great big club again is is fantastic for them and their city. But I, I don't know anything about the structure of the deal or, or the people coming in, to be honest. Just in terms of sponsorship and commercial deals for us, whilst fans would agree that most offers of investment are welcome at a time when the club has had significant financial challenges over the last 18 months, how comfortable are you and the board with the close association that the club has made with crypto betting and the cryptocurrency websites? Can you understand why some fans would potentially have some concerns about that? Yeah, sure, I, I, I do. And I've looked into that one closely and I think again it's important to go back to the relationship with sports bet because that's really what this is about so if you go back to the beginning when when we spoke on this podcast at the beginning of the pandemic you know we, we had COVID hit us and it, and it ended up pushing massive losses into our into our revenues and we as a club had to make a decision which wasn't a difficult decision about are we going to compromise a couple of our ways of working to make sure we survive and make sure the club's here for for us and for our children in the future so so we, we, we had to make those decisions that were right for us at the time and we're very comfortable with those decisions but, but what happened to us was that uh, again I forget the timing now but it was in the summer because I was on my um, brief summer break that summer when we lost our shirt sponsor and actually the relationship with Under Armour at the same time uh, and we were looking at a very very large hole and these guys from Sportsbet stepped in you know promised us and me directly that they were an ethical business that would look after us and behave in an, an appropriate way um, we, we we checked that very carefully uh, and to be fair to them they've delivered it 100% I've got to know their founder Tim really well um, they support us in ways that are way beyond what a sponsor would do they don't go public with what they do but they they really are good people trying to do the best they can they are involved in sports betting and you can ethically say you like that or you don't like that but at the moment that is acceptable and 
and okay in sport and we made a decision to go with that and we're, we're comfortable with that decision so we, we renewed with them again because being honest with you and I think it's all we can do we've been really really impressed with their sort of behavior and their support of us and their sort of innovation and wanting to do good things with us to improve the club and, and the community so so we've got a long-term relationship with sports bet um, and the crypto side of it is something they're involved in. Now, my personal view on that is, you know, we are not supporting or pushing our fans into, you know, investing in cryptocurrencies. What we're doing is allowing them to put information uh, on a website that's on one of our training gears. And, and we're OK with that. There's nothing in cryptocurrency which is, you know, massively concerning to us as a club at this point. Um, you know, again, for clarity, we're not pushing people into that. It's an information site. Everyone has their real and, and own choices about whether they want to get involved in that or not. One of the bigger news stories this week is that fans are going to be allowed to stand in selected Premier League and Championship stadiums this season for the first time in more than 25 years. What are your views on that and what will the club's approach be going forward? Because it sounds like there's going to be a lot happening in the next five to six months. Yeah, well, we again, we're relatively new to that story. Um, we will look at it, we'll consider it as carefully as we do anything else. I think it's important to say, you know, there is a reason why they took away safe standing and we have to be 100% comfortable that if we're going to put it back, that it is safe and we're not putting anybody in harm's way. And I think it's easy to bypass that and we need to be upfront and say we have to do that work as the Premier League will do. But, it, you know, it's building some momentum and it's something we'll look at as part of the Premier League and as Southampton Football Club. So we'll certainly look at it. It's not the solution to everything. It doesn't suddenly create higher capacities or lower ticket prices or anything, but it, but it certainly is something that the fans are interested in and we'll work with the Premier League to make sure that it is um, safe and appropriate before we do it. Have you been worried about the attendances this season? They seem to be, all things considered, down on, on what the average would be. Do you put that down to, to COVID and people's confidence in, in returning to these large sporting events? Yeah, I think so. And again, that's that's one of the situations where we're privileged to be able to look at Premier League data and other sports data. So our ticket sales are relatively similar to what they were before, uh, but our attendances are down, right, which would give you an impression that people are buying tickets or season tickets and they're not attending. And, and the data and, and insight would say that's COVID related. So people want to wait a little bit longer before they feel safe or they've moved to different areas or they're still staying with their parents in a different part of the country. So there's an element, I think, of a slow progression to people returning to the stadiums that hopefully will come back um, once we beat uh, this pandemic. Let's talk about the women's team because they've got off to an absolute flyer this season. I guess that's very much on track. But what's the shorter, medium-term plan for the side? It seems like that's quite a key growth area for you. Yeah, it's really important. And again, I think I mentioned this last time I was on your show that I remember the meeting where we made the decision to go for it. And um it just was so such an easy and unanimous decision. And I guess for that reason, it's worth explaining that, which is it's, it's just important to our future because one day we think the women's game will be as big, if not bigger or slightly different um, than the men's game. We just don't know exactly how long that will take, but it will happen. And hence, we made you know a big investment in, um, in women's football. And despite COVID hitting us really badly, we've continued that investment and we, we haven't dropped that off in any way. And, you know, the reason we like it is because it's something new, it's innovative, it's fantastic for bringing people into the club, uh, bringing young girls into the club, but actually bringing a wider audience into the club because they do enjoy watching it. So it's very, very important to us. And I think, you know, what we are hoping it will do is bring more people into the club, but also bring more people watching, right? So you, 
you can go and watch this team for a very low price. It's affordable to everybody, um, to every kid in Southampton to come in and watch them. And we would just keep encouraging people to go to Tottenham and watch games, to come to St Mary's when we can put it on there and watch them play. They're a fantastic bunch of people and a fantastic programme. And we will continue to provide all the support we can possibly for the staff, the players and, and everything around the club. And yes, we, we hope to see them uh, performing you know, in the championship next year and then into the top enchalance as soon as you can. The only criticism I think that I've seen for those that can't make it to the match days, the home or away games, there's no live updates at the moment on the, the social media platforms. Is that just down to, to personnel and numbers? Is that something that the club are looking to address as, as the women's team develop? Yeah, I think it's exactly that. So there's an element of COVID in that, which is we were restricted from doing certain things. But I think there's also an element of developing things at the right speed and in the right way. So if you go into the academy, for example, there are certain things that the academy players are treated to, I guess, in the right way to make sure they know they are in a professional environment. And there's certain things that take time to develop. So you have to develop those programs over time. So creating uh, media content and making sure everybody within the club on the men's platform sees that content is really important. So I think if you had a women's only content platform, not enough people would see it, but we're hitting a point now where further investment in that content is important. Uh, you know, maybe it's next year when we go in the championship, it will ratchet up another level. Um, but yes, I think it's something we need to address and continue to build. But again, I say that, you know, the huge investment going into the women's programme and we have to invest in the right things first, which is making sure we have the right staff, the right players, the right programme uh, and the media side of it will develop over time. And how happy were you to get the Lionesses games for next year? Because that's going to be huge. Yeah, I think so. And I think that's an important part of our, our club. You know, we, we want to be a wider contributor to the community, both in sport and outside sport, whether that be concerts in the stadium and Lionesses games are really important. And I think it's very, very important um, talking to Marianne in terms of getting people interested in the women's game and in, and in the local areas. So, yeah, I think those are very important. And the people that work in the stadium and in the football club are very proud of having those awards of games, I think. Couple of questions from our patrons. Colt, who is our stateside saint, says, I know with COVID it's been difficult for the business side of the club, but has there been or are there future plans to try and grow the club's global brand in the US? Yes, I think there is. You know, I've got a, a, a particular point of view on that, which is probably a bit too complicated for right now, but I'll give you a, a short view, which is, yes, there is. We have to grow our fan base wider. Um, you know, the fan bases of Premier League teams are no longer just in their cities. They're much broader than that. Um, but I think it's also going to be a huge focus for the Premier League over the next 10 years in terms of building that uh, fan base around the world. And the Premier League will quite often lead that and will be part of that. So, do I see a future where we are playing games outside of the UK? Um, a bit more often I do. And building fan bases in, in key areas such as the US and China and uh, South America and Africa, I, th I think it's a huge part of our future, both as a Premier League and as a club. So I would see a lot more of that in the future, yes. Rob asks, what are the long-term goals for the club? What do you want the club to achieve and where would you like them to be in the next five to ten years? Yeah, so I think our strategy has been the same for a year or two and is really, really important to us, which is we see not an opportunity to, to, to dance to the top uh, and buy success. Uh, we see an opportunity to be consistent in our performance and consistent in performance means finishing in somewhere in that group between 12th and 7th is how we set it out. If we can do that every year, then we will build success. And again, that's not because that's our destination or we're thrilled to finish 11th or 8th or 12th. or it does, the, the final destination of that position is not as important as what it allows you. So the way that we will be successful is being able to plan every year to improve. 
a decision like investing in Tino, for example, for our future only happens because we are stable and we have the finances to invest in that in the future. Otherwise, you're just thinking about how do you win games tomorrow. So having that ability to to build year on year and improve our performances, our infrastructure, our people, our processes every year that allows us to to move higher up the league is really where we see it going. And there's no reason why we can't do that. Final question. I think it's been two years since you became CEO. So in that time, what do you think is your biggest achievement? And what's the one thing that you would have done differently? <laughs> Good question. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, probably has been a bit over two years, but I, I've been involved in the club a while. I would say I would say from a success point of view, probably let's take one on and one off the pitch. So, so for me, there's no doubt for me, you know, my highlight on the pitch, which I think was the 78 days between losing 9-0 to Leicester and then beating them 2-1 in their stadium. You know, for me, that was the biggest challenge in my career, let alone my time in Southampton, to make sure that we turned things around and we built a sort of winning culture and an environment that people felt that, that we could move forward in. So that 78 days is probably the, the biggest moment for me and one that I'll reflect on in my later years, I think. But I, I remember specifically on that night winning that game and think Danny scored that last goal and uh, Susan Whelan, who runs Leicester, turned to me and said something along the lines of, you know, wow, that was impressive. You know, how, how did you manage that? And I remember walking away thinking, okay, yeah, so that, you know, to go from where we were to to that night for me was probably the biggest success that we've had, I think, in turning that around because we all know it could have gone in a very different direction. I think I think off the pitch, probably the COVID side of it, again, no one knew that was coming. Uh, it was a huge challenge. But, you know, to be able to support all our staff and make sure we didn't lose any job losses. And again, a huge credit goes to our ownership for supporting us and making sure that we do that. But also I saw the other day a stat and I'm going to get the number wrong now, but I think we made something like 20,000 contacts in the local community, whether it be phone calls or meals or visits to old people that were struggling during COVID. And I think I said before that our foundation is is possibly the most important part of what we do. And I didn't know as much about it as I probably should have done. And COVID pushed me closer to that environment. But to watch that happen and the, the sort of mobilisation and motivation of that group was probably my um, happiest moment uh, in a very sad situation. Then I think the second part was, I can't remember to use the word regret or, or what I would change or... <laughs> Um, but something along those lines, I think probably uh, probably on the pitch, you know, not being able to to finish off 2021 will probably be the one that sticks with me. You know, we, we had a very, very good six months leading into that and then it fell away. I, I don't think we'll ever know what would have happened if we hadn't had those injuries. I'm often reflective of that night in Leeds when their dodgy pitch cost Oriol the rest of his season. You know, had we had not had one or two of those injuries where would we have finished I think that will sit with me and I think I think probably my biggest personal regret is you know one or two players along the way not sticking with our project so so internally there's bits you don't see like you know we really do keep on a plan and sell that plan to everybody and there's one or two players I'll leave their names out of it who who kind of said I'm part of this project and then jumped off the ship but that that's hard to to deal with when you're in a sort of leadership role and you're trying to to push everybody forward and, and losing one or two of those is probably one of the regrets I have um, over the last three years, I guess. Martin Simmons, thanks for your time. No worries. Thank you for having me. This is the Total Saints podcast, proudly underpinned by our TSP patrons.
To find out more about becoming a TSP patron, check out the website where you can join our Bobby Stokes tier for just £5 a month. You can find all the recent episodes of the podcast on our YouTube channel, so check that out and hit subscribe whilst you're there. Don't forget to follow this podcast wherever you're listening right now and on the socials it's at Total Saints Pod. You can always drop us an email as well via the website. Thanks for listening and have a great week. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure 24 7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.